0: Today I'm welcoming back, well, I think one of my most popular guests on the PCOS Diva podcast, and that's Dr. Fiona McCullough. Dr. Fiona is a certified naturopathic doctor. She has a clinic in Toronto, uh, Canada, and she's written a wonderful book called The Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. And if you have not read that, I highly advise you to get a copy because it's becoming one of the... Uh, sort of main um, resource books for PCOS. And she has been Thank on you. The, Oh, the PC. Oh, you're very welcome. She's been on the PCOS Diva podcast several times now. So check out some of those other episodes. I'll um, link those in the show notes. Uh, but I just want to welcome you back. Thanks for coming back on Fiona.
1: Oh, Thank you so much, Amy. It's always such a pleasure to be on your podcast, and you always have such great content. You're always delivering like the newest information uh, to so many of the divas who follow you, so thanks for having me again.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, and speaking of great content, I really begged you to come back on the podcast to share the information that you provided to us at the 2019 PCOS Challenge Symposium. I was lucky enough to attend your session where you talked about epigenetics and PCOS and what we can do to actually help to uh, change our our gene expression and it i left your talk feeling so empowered and uh, with being a mother of a daughter who you know i don't know if she has PCOS yet she's 10 going on 11 and i could tell you we're we're starting to see some hormonal mood swings <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Um, but, but still not sure if she's going to have PCOS, but so many of the things that you said at the symposium in your talk, I shared with Lila, uh, so that she can feel empowered to kind of, um, take on her health. So I am excited that you're here to share that, that information with us today.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I know that, um, you know, I was always a little worried about presenting on genetics because it's, it's something we've always been taught that is permanent and final. And so what I really wanted to convey in my talk was that we actually have a lot of control over how our genetics behave and even how things are transmitted from generation to generation. So uh, we've just learned so much about genetics in recent years. Um, My undergraduate degree was focused on that. And when I think about what I learned back then, as uh, compared to what we know now, we we know so much more. And there is so much that we can do. Um, Our genetics are definitely not uh, defined and permanent. And that's um, really cool. And there's just so many things we can do that make a huge impact for our health and for our children's health.
0: Well, let's start with um, the definition of, of, of epigenetics. And, and for for some listening, it might be the first time they've heard that word. Could you sort of explain what that means?
1: Absolutely. So genetics, as we know, are basically uh, the way that we describe the transmission of material um, from generation to generation. And genetics include um DNA, chromosomes, so we all have 22 pairs of chromosomes. We have one pair from our mom and one from our dad and one sex chromosome from each parent, so we have XX and XY. And genetics, um, these genes actually carry information, so they can carry um, things such as traits, like eye color or hair color. Um, So a lot of different variation that we'll see um, is in our actual genes. Um, There is also another part of genetics which um, these are called SNPs. So these are just small differences in our genes from person to person. And these are not uh, typically related to to diseases, although they can be, but they're more related to variation. Um, So the genes in our body contain instruction manuals. And basically, our genes um, can tell us for uh, tell our body, for example, to make a hormone uh, when that gene is activated. Um, the way that our genes actually function, because they are sort of instruction manuals, um, is that our body has to turn the genes on and off. And this is this is something that um, is very very interesting. Um, so this is the way um, that our genes function, and this means that we can change our genes in a way, basically in affecting how they function. Um, Epigenetics is all all about the study of how our genes change their function. And um, so many different things can change that, um, including things like diet, exercise, sleep, hormones, um, medications, inflammation, toxins, pollutants. Um, And this all happens primarily through something called methylation. A lot of people may have heard of this, um, and just to sort of simplify what this is, it's the addition of a chemical group called a methyl group to a gene. Um, this is something that can be uh, take, uh, turned on and off, and this causes the gene to be quiet. And so this is really the center of epigenetics.
0: So uh, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm pulling out my, my notes from, from your session I think a lot of women put so much pressure on themselves when you're trying to conceive that you, you know, as the mother have to get yourself into, you know, optimal health and um, your partner might feel a little bit off the hook, but dads uh, have a profound impact on child's health based upon their own health and their own genetics before conception. And I kind of wanted to put that out there. Um, because it's just as important for your partners to think about what you're going to be talking about and the tips that you're sharing as we women with PCOS.
1: Yes, um, this is so interesting because I think we've always thought, you know, in the past in science that, you know, much of the the DNA and and what's passed on is passed on from the mother um, because the egg actually contains a lot more material, it contains the mitochondria, um, and then the baby develops inside the mother. But what we're learning, actually, is that it's, it's, the sperm doesn't just on, pass on that DNA, so not just the chromosomes, but the sperm can pass on epigenetics, which is really interesting. Um, so basically, changes in the father's body, so for you know health, diet, sleep, stress, that influences the sperm in an epigenetic way that can be passed on to the child, and this can actually pass on generation after generation. So just like the eggs, um, the sperm contain DNA methylation marks, and those can be influenced so, so much by lifestyle and diet. So the dad's health is very important, actually.
0: I I think that that's um, such a key point uh, to kind of share with your partners, because, um, it's important to have the support to kind of be in this um, life; these lifestyle changes together, uh, and that's something that I know my hu- my husband was wonderful, uh, being very supportive of me when when I had to change my lifestyle, and he kind of jumped in right along with me. So I think this is a good sort of point to bring up um, that that men need to get um, on board as well. <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness, yes, for so many reasons, and I just, I always love that your husband was so supportive to you, um, because um, I really, you know, the self-care message that you provide is so important, because if you don't take care of yourself, you don't have the support of your partner, you know, PCOS can be so much worse, and just having that supportive partner, especially if they're doing the changes along with you, um, it just makes it so much easier to stick with, with the things that you're doing, and the things you're putting effort into,
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. I feel very blessed. Um, and you know, it's, it's a blessing too to then pass on, you know, what we've learned in our journey along to our kids to give them, uh, you know, a great beginning. And I know in your talk, you talked about different phases in life where it's really important to, um, you know, look at these lifestyle changes because they really do affect your genes and, um, puberty was one of them and I would love for you to kind of talk about the different places in life where you can really make a difference in your um, the, the way your genes are expressing
1: yeah I find this so interesting so um, if we think about the way humans develop so when we're developing as an embryo or a fetus in the womb our you know our body goes through very specific phases and timings of development that happen. There are certain times that the ovary develops, for example, and that the eggs are are actually developing in the the ovary for the entire lifetime of a female, for example. Um, those are very important events, and if something happens at that time, or there's an exposure, um, say for example to a plastic, and it happens during that window, um, that baby that's developing can develop a change in the ovary that may be persistent and may last their entire life. And we know that this um, can be how PCOS can develop because they can actually induce PCOS in the offspring of animals by exposing them during this one little window to a plastic like bisphenol A. And that can last several generations. So the prenatal timing is really important. And this is also part of why women um, with PCOS, uh, they often have daughters with PCOS because the higher levels of testosterone that are happening in pregnancy can predispose. Um, A second time that things activate and change is at puberty. So everything's quite quiet in childhood with respect to the hormones. Um, You know, with PCOS, you might see little signs of insulin resistance in children. Um, Some youth do and others you don't so much. But it's when puberty starts and the hormones are added in that then you actually see the condition starting to activate. And if there's another kind of disruption at that time, for example, a lot of stress or, you know, um, Poor diet, or um, you know, like not getting enough sleep, um, something like this can become more entrenched in the way that the ovary functions and the hormones function. So, those times are really key, and then the other time really is any time in a woman's life before she has children, you have that opportunity to influence uh, future children that you may have because your eggs are in your ovary. And so especially as you get closer to about a year before having a baby, this is the time uh, that you really want to dial it in with your diet, your nutrition, make sure you're not deficient in any key nutrients. Uh, make sure that you're eating healthfully and avoiding inflammatory foods, exercising, um, all of that will reap so many benefits for your future baby because the eggs actually go through about a year of development before you're ready to ovulate that egg. And so you actually have a lot of opportunity at those different times in life to influence your health long-term.
0: So you had talked about um, some lifestyle Uh, changes that can really make a big impact on epigenetics and I put a big star in my notes next to sleep that you mentioned that it makes a major impact and I think that we really underestimate or undervalue um, the importance of sleep in managing PCOS and and you know, and now we know that it really makes a big impact on our gene expression, too, so tell us more about sleep and how that is important.
1: Sleep is um, huge, and um, uh, for myself, it I was very interested in this because I'm a bit of a night owl, and, you know, For me, it's something I've always had a little bit of trouble getting enough sleep because I feel like, oh, I have all these things to do. And the more I started learning and reading about how important this really is, um, I made a lot of changes with my own sleep and I started to really prioritize that. And, you know, I feel so much better. Um, But if you think about it, really, there are key times in our body that certain things are supposed to happen. And many of those things are actually supposed to happen when we're sleeping. Um, And they don't happen when we're awake. And when, you know, uh, when we're sleeping, we're also fasting. And these two things should really correlate with each other in the way that our body is naturally meant to work. So when we're sleeping, we see certain changes. um, Our fat actually um, burns while we sleep. It's supposed to be burning um, and we're, we're secreting more leptin when we sleep. Um, our liver is going through different processes um, like gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis, so just keeping blood sugar stable. This is all happening through the liver. We also see um, glucagon getting secreted by the pancreas. We see different metabolic things happening within the muscle. Um, we see a lot of antioxidant actions happening inside the cells during sleep as well. Um, so lots of these things and repair mechanisms happen during sleep. Um, so really we're, you know, it's, it's sort of like traffic lights, red and green. And if we don't have the red light on, um, we're missing out on, you know, uh, all these great things that should be happening. And we could easily get into a traffic jam, if you can imagine if we don't have red lights. Um, And when we're awake, we have completely different processes that are happening. So our bodies are really meant to have sleep and meant to have a certain amount of it. So in order just to function well, this is very important. And these um, important mechanisms um, really impact our epigenetics. So um, there are certain changes that happen during sleep and certain ones um, during waking hours. And so these marks are epigenetic changes that are safe are sleep deprived. Our body will try to compensate for that by making a whole bunch of changes. And those changes, you know, can be passed on to future generations um, and also, you know, can negatively affect our health too. So it's quite profound to think about all the different things that happen during these different times.
0: You're, you're talking a lot about cycles and rhythms. You know, you have like a, a cycle of sleep and then you're awake and you don't want to disrupt um, that cycle and, uh, you know, by staying up really late at night and eating because yeah. then, you know, you, you disrupt that whole rhythm. Um and, I, and I'm hearing so much more about circadian cycles and rhythm. I, I just interviewed uh, Dr. Diane Ginsberg that wrote a great new book about uh, PCOS and how the circadian cycle and rhythm plays such a huge part um, of, of healing PCOS when you can kind of get those cycles and rhythms back on track. And I know you've talked about that as well. Um, Tell us a little bit more about how circadian rhythm kind of comes into play and you sort of touched about on it with sleep and a little bit about like eating, um, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of give us more information about that.
1: Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting because as they're looking further and further, what they're finding is that most of our cells actually have a clock inside of them and different things happen at different times. So when it comes to PCOS in particular, a lot of those rhythms that are problematic are related to metabolism and fat cell function. And we know that a lot of um, the problems with PCOS come from the the inflammation that really comes from our fat. And um, when you look at the fat cells, they've even recently discovered that fat cells themselves have a circadian rhythm. So your fat cells do things in the day and they do other things at night. And a lot of the antioxidant functions for the fat cells actually happen when you're sleeping. And this is how inflammation is really controlled inside tissues. So if you're not getting enough sleep, you know, you're going to be having much more of this fatty inflammation that's very problematic for PCOS. I think we all know inflammation is a huge problem with this condition and the liver, um, liver fat accumulation. All of these things, um, you know, when we get enough sleep, um, all of these metabolic elements that are happening, you know, during sleep, that will just optimize us. Because with PCOS, we have a lot more. Um, likelihood of having metabolic issues. Um, so for us, it's much more important than it is for other people to get more sleep.
0: And I f- have found that in my, my coaching practice, it's so difficult for women who do shift work and are working, you know, all night and kind of sleeping during the day the best they can while they're caring for families and you know, doing all the other things that we we do during the day. um, Yes. That it's very, very hard for for them to manage their PCOS. And now now the science is kind of catching up so that we understand why that is.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, shift workers, um, even, you know, since I started my practice, um, we've done a lot of cortisol testing for patients, and um, shift workers have the most – you know, completely off levels of cortisol that you'll ever see. So they're really, um, you know, presented with a big challenge. And of course, um, our shift workers are some of the most important workers. There are healthcare workers and people that keep things running all days and uh, uh, all times of the day are emergency workers. So their health is really important. Um, but they have, you know, they really um, have a unique challenge in that this probably contributes to a lot of the increased types of diseases that we'll see in shift workers, so metabolic conditions. And, you know, for the patients that are doing this, um, you know, I'm always um, just helping to support them really to get enough hours of sleep, They can do um, supplementation of melatonin um, before their sleep hours, um, whether that be day or night. And um, they can make sure that they keep their their light and dark really as well controlled as they can. So making sure when they're sleeping during the day that they are having their room really nice and dark and blackout curtains. And, you know, that they are getting some light during their waking hours, too. Um, So using a happy light. And these types of, um, you know, changes can really help them quite a bit.
0: I have found that uh, exposing my eyes to light has made such a tremendous difference in, in my sleep quality and the way that I feel. So, uh, when I get up in the morning, I have my tea or warm water and lemon like in front of my window where the sun rises, and I just sort of stare at the skyline and have kind of get that sun in my eyes if when it's ne- when it's um, warm out, y'all you know, sit on my front step and do that. Uh, and then I try to get out at noontime, even if it 's just a quick like walk to the mailbox <laughs> just to yeah. expose my eyes to that light and then again, usually in the evening, I try as the sun 's setting, I try to get outside as well, um, just to get some of that that evening light and I can tell That's you that great. that is it 's such an easy thing to do kind of you, you know you might have to set your your um, a phone reminders or alarms to remind you to do that but it's really painless and really actually very pleasant to do and i i have found that it makes a profound difference in um in my sleep and i think it's because it's sort of helping to set that circadian cycle what do you think oh.
1: That sounds, it just sounds wonderful to do that in the first place, you know, to have that kind of mindfulness to the beginning of your day and just, you know, connecting with with, um, nature that way and looking at the sun rising. It's just beautiful. But I think, you know, absolutely that's got to be very helpful because there's um, receptors in our eye called melanopsin receptors. And basically that's the only way your brain knows it's day or night is whether light goes in your eyes or not, you know, and the blue lights that we're all looking at all day on computers tell our our body and our brain it's daytime, and a lot of time, you know, we're looking at this in the night, so I love that you're actually connecting with the real light of nature, Um, and this is, you know, as a naturopathic doctor, um, you know, this is sort of what our elders always told us back in school, and, you know, the more we learn about science, the more they are absolutely right. And I noticed the same for myself, so I definitely uh, try to get the bright light in my eyes. When I'm going to my clinic, we actually moved to a, a clinic that has many more windows, so I have a lot of light coming in my eyes. and. Um, The other thing that I do is when I go home at night, we have some light bulbs in our house that turn the lights um, red as the evening comes. Um, So you can do orange or red, and then we have apps on our phones and computers to get rid of that blue tinge, and everything turns more orange and red. Um, and I find with that, and then I get off my device earlier, and off my computer earlier, I sleep so much better, I get sleepy earlier, which I didn't before, mm-hmm. I was more, you know, more towards being a night owl. And I find that I'm actually reverting a little bit out of that, which is amazing to me. Um, and another interesting thing that I do is when I drive home from work, I find now I notice this, and I didn't before, but even like the street lights and the headlights, they really are bright and very blue tinged. And I started wearing the um, blue blocker glasses, you know, they have some newer versions of these that are are more uh, stylish looking. And I wear those when I drive home. Um, And I've I've had migraines in the past, and they've really helped me with just my eyes. Oh, that's
0: interesting.
1: Yeah, Uh because I would find sometimes I would start triggering into a migraine driving home with these bright lights and these glasses have made a huge difference. So I, I think it's incredibly powerful, even though it's so simple.
0: Yeah, I have those glasses as well. And I do think you're right. It it makes you sleepy earlier. And I think for a lot of women listening, that's part of the problem is you don't get sleepy till late at night. So, so try some of these um, techniques. And I know for me right now, where I'm recording this uh, video right after we've changed clocks and I could tell you that I'm like ready for bed at eight eight PM. <laughs> I've got my PJs on and it's just so dark and um and I and I try to honor that, you know. I I'm usually with in bed with my eyes closed by nine once I get um the kiddos situated for, for the evening, Um, but that's okay, that, you know, that's okay, that's what I need to do to feel good, and, and I just want everybody to know, too, that Dr. Fiona does have PCOS, so I think that makes you extra special, Dr. Fiona, you know, you understand what it's like to live with PCOS and, and thrive.
1: Yes, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, just like yourself, you know, went through many years of struggles, and, it's always so satisfying to me to be able to help people not go through Mm -hmm. that, you know, and get help earlier. So it, yeah, all of these, these, uh, these topics are so interesting to me because I have PCOS, but um, you know, it's just so, so um, fulfilling to be able to, to send out these, these, um, this information that anyone can do, you know, that can really make your life so much better.
0: The other thing that you had mentioned in, uh, in your talk that was so profound and powerful is that the choices that you make really affect many future generations possibly um, so yes. that I, I think for me that's um, you know it's such an impetus to to eat well and to live well um, And so, you know, the choices that you make and the food that you eat and um, whether you exercise or not and, um, you know, the the food that that you, you know, whether you're eating things that have a lot of um, pesticides and toxins, you're not only impacting you, but the future generations to come. So I was wondering if you could comment on that.
1: I know, and it's quite astounding to really think of it. So um, I always go back to the study with the pregnant female rat. So if you think about um, a pregnant rat, you know, that rat's uh, got a baby inside of, the, uh, of them, and this baby rat has all of their eggs in there. And if you can imagine, uh, those eggs inside will turn into the next generation uh, from the baby. So it's almost like, you know, daughter and granddaughter. So what they found was that one exposure of this toxin could induce PCOS in the daughter and the granddaughter. But then the interesting part of this was that even in the great granddaughter, and there was, no, you know, that great granddaughter wasn't even in the ovary. Like this was, this was the next generation that um, had the most intense PCOS. So you can influence many future generations um, by these you know, changes that you're making. So we know that epigenetics um, are um, impacted by many things. But say, for example, let's just take one like exercise. So exercise can alter um, a lot of the expression of so many genes that relate to our metabolic health. So, um, you know, the way our liver functions, the way we are sensitive to insulin. um, In fact, like our lower leg leg muscles have a huge impact on our insulin sensitivity. And exercise, you know, if, if you're a female who hasn't had children yet, those changes that you're inducing in your body from exercise will be passed on to your next generation, um, and even to your granddaughter, and probably great-granddaughter, so, um, and the same goes for food, and the same goes for avoiding, you know, things like plastic endocrine disruptors, so not heating your food in plastic containers using glass or ceramic instead, because these are all endocrine disruptors, um, avoiding pesticides, so if you're looking at you know, which foods to buy organic, there is the Dirty Dozen Food List from Environmental Working Group. And so, you know, the in 2009, their number one most uh, heavily sprayed with strawberries. So buying organic strawberries instead of conventional strawberries this makes a big difference for yourself, but also many future generations. And not only that, you're adding less pesticide into the environment because these pesticides persist actually in our environment forever. And this is really probably a big part of why we're seeing so much more PCOS and other kinds of diseases in in our um, population. So everything that you do, it has so much effect and it's so incredibly powerful. And it's mind boggling to me to even think about that.
0: Yeah, in my book, Healing PCOS, and in my program, uh, like Jump Start, I talk about developing your big why, like really um, fine tuning why you want to get healthy. And, um, and it has to be more than, you know, you just want to lose weight. Um, and it has to, there has to be a deeper meaning behind it and and I think you know, protecting your own health and that of your family and future generations. I mean, that is a huge big why and a reason yes. to, you know, get up every every day and, and recommit to living a healthy lifestyle and, and making these changes that we've talked about um, on the podcast today.
1: It really is, you know, it's, and even for women, if, if you're not having children, just making these changes, um, it, it improves the environment when people are, um, you know, not buying the most heavily sprayed fruits and vegetables, um, when they're buying organic, it makes more demand for those kinds of products. So it's helping everyone, um, in the whole world actually. Um, but you know, I think also like we, um, women are very interesting in that we give so much to other people, you know, in society, we're always giving back and we rarely receive, you know, and these types of things that optimize our epigenetics make us healthier, stronger and happier. Um, And so we can give more to the world too.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's what this is really all about, I feel like, is moving beyond the pain and struggle of PCOS to live the life that we were meant to live without PCOS holding us back and to do the work that we're all meant to do in this world um, to make it a better place. I mean, it's hard to do when you're you're sick and tired <laughs> and yes. feeling, feeling way too young to feel so, you know, old. Um, yes, Absolutely. so Thank you, Dr. Fiona, for the work that you've done to kind of help um, support women with PCOS. You, as I mentioned, you have a wonderful book, The Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, and you have a, a private practice uh, in Toronto. Can you just um, let women know if they want to work with you in, in a um, greater way? How can they do that?
1: Absolutely, so yeah, I have a clinic in Toronto. Um, We established ourselves in 2001, so we've been here for quite a while. Um, And we uh, really focus on hormonal conditions, primarily in women, so we treat a lot of PCOS. Uh, So my clinic is called WhitelotusClinic.ca. That's the website, and you can uh, give us a call or send us a a contact form and see if uh, it would work to, um, to work with us. And um, I also have my book, Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which um, is available on Amazon. So I always encourage people to read that because there's just so much information in there you can use. Um, And finally, as well, you know, I have a a Facebook page and an Instagram. So I'm always posting new articles to my blog and newsletters. So if you just want to keep on top of new research. I'm pretty um, geeky in my content. So I'm always <laughs> writing about um, the newest science. Um, and so if that's your cup of tea, maybe give me a follow and um, you might enjoy some of the content.
0: Oh, you absolutely put out great content. And um, I, I do encourage everybody to give Dr. Fiona a follow and read her book and listen to uh, other podcasts. Uh, we've, we've recorded some other great podcasts as well. So thanks again for coming on um, and sharing this inf- really valuable information.
1: Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so grateful to be here and just to speak to all the divas again. Thank you so much for everything you do.
0: Oh, gosh, it's, it's really my, my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.